Well, good morning. Um, I am I am really excited for for today, but for for next Sunday, I feel like both the the morning we're going to finally get to a place in in the book of Genesis and Joseph's life that I feel like we've been building up to, and so I think that's going to be really special. Then next Sunday evening. Um, Christmas Eve, you know, we have all the lights out and it's kind of like a candlelight type service. It's one of my favorite services we do all year. And just so you know, like I've, the, the sermon that I've, I was going to share that night or the scripture I'm going to share that night, I've actually, it's been on my mind for about three months that like this has to be the Christmas Eve passage. And, um, and so I'm just want to let you know, I'm like really antsy to get there and excited to get there and and would appreciate us all to pray that God would actually bring us. And if you're like, well, my tradition, my family has always do this. I I would encourage you to to make this a part of the tradition moving forward of your family, maybe to to bring people who normally wouldn't ever come to a church and maybe hear things that they, they maybe are surprised that a church talks about of just how lavishly we are loved and how Christmas is, is such proof of that. So, um, Today we're in a, a real beautiful place in the book of Genesis. We're we're in, we're going to cover chapters forty three and forty four, and um, w- one of the things is we've been praying into this morning, and um, you're invited not to feel any pressure or guilt or anything, um, but at nine fifteen every Sunday morning. Uh, roughly around 9.15, we have a group that just gather in the entryway, and sometimes there's 15 people, sometimes there's 30 people, and we, we just pray, and, and part of our prayer is actually we s- spend some time listening, because we actually believe that God can actually tell us what we should pray for, <laughs> because he knows who's going to be here, he, kn- he knows where he's wanting to lead us, so sometimes prayer can be actually just sitting before him and uh, listening and letting him direct us. And we had three people while we were doing that that all felt like kind of a this built on this that built on this, which was one of the things that people were feeling was just that, that God was desiring today to even lift burdens off people. And that if you, that and there were different areas of kind of where that could come, but just that, that the burdened would not leave burdened and that, that God would, uh, would, would do a work there. So just know, too, if you're, maybe you're like, am I burdened? I don't know if I'm burdened. Um, or if you're like, hey, I know I'm burdened coming into this, that, that we actually come together in a way that we believe that he is living and active. And church is not this just kind of one-hour game to play and then leave. And like we pretend on the way out and we pretend on the way in and pretend on the way out, but to truly meet with God and know that he's on the move and us being in this room is not an accident, and that he's for us, not against us, and, and he wants to lift burdens. And so, so we were praying into that this morning. I just want to let you know that, um, man, if, don't feel like, oh, is he now going to point me out because he's reading my mail? Um, I'm not that slick or smart, um, but God is. <laughs> and, um, and what I just say is no one's embarrassed. No one is to be embarrassed in this place. But let's all be changed in this place and, and walk together that way. If that's okay. Um, so I know my voice sounds weird. I, I'm not like deathly ill, I believe. But I've, like a lot of people, had a cold for a couple weeks now. And it's just starting to affect my voice. And so, Lord willing, uh, I will speak. And if I'm not supposed to talk, then <laughs> we'll, we'll go from there and see what the Lord has in store for this morning. But let's kick off in verse 8 of chapter 43. 
Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy, who's Benjamin, with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I, this is Judah speaking, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. So we kind of picked it up right in the middle of the story. And if, you, if this is your first week here, or you're, you're kind of on the newer end of, of being here and we're at the end of a book, don't feel like you need to wait to come back once we finish this book. You can listen online on our website or on iTunes and podcasts and stuff. But what we're in the middle of is that, that, that Jacob has 12 sons. One is thought to have been killed by really the hand of his brothers. Uh, then Reuben is the oldest, Simeon is the second oldest, and Simeon has been in jail in Egypt for some time. And he is not going to be released from jail until all of the brothers come back. The guy who's in charge, who is actually the brother who they thought they killed, and they don't know that it's the brother who they thought they killed, but he knows he's the guy. Uh, of course, and knows who his brothers are. So it's a, it's a pure like, wow, this is quite the story that what is happening is Jacob is not letting the brothers return to Egypt because he thinks the only way that, my brother, that they can go back, that the sons can go back to Egypt is if Benjamin, the youngest, goes. And I'm afraid that this son that I love tremendously, if he goes to Egypt to get more food for the family, not only will Simeon rot in jail for the rest of his life, but so will possibly all of these sons. There's just too much on the line. It's too fearful. And now where we're picked up in the story is Judah is trying to talk to his dad. And Judah is telling his dad, we are going to starve to death if we don't go down. He's like, we could have actually gone to Egypt and come back twice in the amount of time that we've just waited and Jacob certainly is feeling fear, concern, being like, I don't like that my second oldest son has been in jail potentially for years. We don't know the timetable here. Um, but I also feel like I can't risk my son. And so it's amazing here that Judah says, I am going to be, a, I'm going to pledge his safety. And Judah tells his dad, if I don't bring him back to you, I will be blamed forever. And the, the, the weight of this moment and the weight of this decision will be on me forever if we all don't come back. He pledges himself to Benjamin's safe return. Verse 16 so Jacob says, okay. Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin, so they, they've made it down there. I'm, I'm moving a little, we're covering two chapters and it's a lot of verses. And I, I like to preach a two hour sermon, but I, I don't think that's good for all of us right in this moment. So I do, would, I would encourage you to go back even this week and soak in these verses because I think you'll, you'll see that they actually scream Christmas. Um, we pick it up in verse 16. 
when Joseph saw Benjamin, little side thing, of the 12 brothers, they have four different moms. And so there's actually only, Joseph only shares one other sibling with his mom, um, and that is Benjamin. So they're the only two that are full-blooded brothers. And so Judah, even who's pledging the safety of Benjamin, it's not his full, it's his half-brother that he's, he's pledging the safety. So when Joseph sees Benjamin, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal to see all of his brothers, but it's the first time he's seen Benjamin in over 20 years. And, um, and his, his mom died giving birth to Benjamin. So it's just the two of them left of, of that, you know, and his dad. So when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house, into his house, and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. Verse 17, the man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. Look at this. Or, or, or maybe instead of looking at it, see if you can feel it. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. So it wasn't like, ooh, this is a nice palace here that this guy has. They were like, they, there was something about it that made them terrified. The men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in. So another side, just to remind ourselves of what's happening, is they go down with money, they pay for the food, they get money to take back and to feed probably hundreds of people, which is probably a lot of food to feed hundreds of people. And when they make it home, they realize on the way back that all of their money is still with them. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're ruined. Like, it looks like we stole all of this. Not only was our brother kept in jail, but when the rest of us left, they must all think we're thieves because all of our money is still with us. This is the end. So now they're coming back and now they're brought into Joseph's house and they're like, this is the end. They know we're criminals, but we're, but we're, we're not. And all this stuff is happening. And so verse 20 uh, or verse 19. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and they spoke with him at the door of, of the house. So they've got a speech prepared and they said, oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us to pay for the first batch of food. And we've brought other money down with us to pay for a second batch of food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Like, like we're, we're really in a pickle here and we don't know how we got into this. We thought we were paying for things. The, what, what the, and the, the people, what the brothers are doing is they're talking to someone. So they're talking to this official who's leading Joseph's house. And they were the ones who trafficked Joseph 20 years ago into human slavery. And um, they've got the speech prepared to tell this, to tell Joseph, who they don't know is his brother, and um, and what's amazing is that the brothers just don't actually understand reality. The brothers have this narrative that they have played in their minds, which is, man, we were trying to do the right thing. We've got a quite quite the past with our brother. We're trying to do the right thing here. 
Um, we're trying to pay for this food so our, our family doesn't starve to death. None of this is a bad thing. Uh, then instead of us paying, the money's still here. And now we're kind of trying to come down again. And now we're brought to this place. And we're pretty freaked out. And we think we're going to get, like, badly assaulted. Like, if you read that passage carefully, they think they're going to be assaulted, beat up, have all of their stuff taken from them, and they're all going to end up in jail. That's what they think is happening. And that is the narrative that is happening in their minds. And that is how they are approaching um, Joseph's number two guy. And they have a speech prepared, but what they don't know is behind the scenes, Joseph has told the, the number two guy, hey, go slaughter like that big cow and let's have like a, let's have a barbecue. <laughs> you know, let's like put a whole spread out for them and let's have this incredible meal. So they, they make the speech in light of how they believe that they are being punished. And Joseph is actually instead of preparing punishment for them, what, what is actually reality is Joseph is preparing peace for them. Look at, look at the official's response in verse 23. He replies to these brothers after this probably impassioned plea for mercy. He says, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. He's like, God wanted me to give it back to you. He wanted you to have it. Hey, just, can we just calm it all down? <laughs> can we take a little deep breath here? I'm, like, you're coming at me saying, like, please, you know, this is what happened. And, oh my gosh, don't beat me up. And don't throw me in prison. And don't do this. And he's like, I'm trying to give you peace and, like, a spread. And I'm actually trying to, like, just like give you all of this amazing stuff. I'm, I'm hoping you have a great time. So they're expecting wrath and the wrath is just. Like the wrath that they're expecting, it would be right for them to receive it. Not just based on this whole paying for food thing, but because of what they did 20 years ago. The wrath is totally just. And what, they, what is happening behind the scenes is they're being thrown this lavish party and they're the guest of honor and I just want to say it out loud and if you're new to the way that that God operates and if you're new to God's story that's been revealed to each of us is that um, this is just how he is and this is how he works and this is how he works towards us and this is how he views us, is that we should be justly assaulted. We should have all of our stuff seized. We should be thrown into jail. And you can say, well, I don't think I've done anything that bad. When we see who God is and his majesty, his holiness, his purity, that there's not one of us innocent as we think about the things we've done or things we have not done, um, that, that there is enough guilt in each of us, through each of us, that he can justly say guilty and you would say, that's right. 
And what we see is happening behind the scenes is not him getting a jail cell ready for us. He's preparing a spread for us, a feast and offering us peace. Verse 29, and he lifted up his eyes, Joseph, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, um, he's saying this in Egyptian so that they don't know that he speaks Hebrew yet. So he's saying this Egyptian, it's being translated. And he says, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Think about it. That's the first words potentially he's ever said to his brother. God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. And just as an aside to one thing that really blew me away, thinking about this passage and thinking about Joseph being like this, is to have the life that he's had, to spend so much time in slavery as a slave, so much time in prison that he called the pit. He spent 20 years life being completely not the way he wanted life to be. 20 years. And I love that prison didn't harden him. I love that like his affections were able, he was able to see his brother and be like, I, I need to, like, to be so emotionally present in that moment. To, to really actually be able to recognize and to not just be like, I mean, in our flesh, he could yell at the brothers, be like, this is the first time because of you guys that I would, and he could just unleash fury and rage at his brothers who have had his life be the way that he would not have wanted his life to be. He could have been the deepest victim in the world and now used his position of power to make people pay. And I love that he's like, God, be gracious to you. And then he goes aside and just weeps. And I love that power hasn't calloused him. Prison hasn't hardened him. And, um, and, and maybe it did, you know, it, that's not to make any of us feel shameful that feel hardened, that, that feel um, really broken in these areas. Um, but it does show that God met with him somewhere and softened him. And maybe he would say, this is a recent thing. I don't know. He entered his chamber and wept there. Then verse 31, then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself. So the brothers still have no clue. They're probably like, he's probably getting guys to beat us up. But here they're like controlling himself. He said, serve the food. So this is potentially the first time that they maybe are aware of what's now been happening. Verse 32, they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is abomination to the Egyptians. So you see the racism that was in this culture of Egyptians against Hebrews, uh, against Jewish people. 
Verse 33, and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. They're kind of lined up. And then I love this. And the men looked at one another in amazement. They're, they're just like, <sighs> you remember, these guys have been starving. And now they're sitting in a palace and they are feasting. And they're just looking at each other in amazement. And, you know, I, I was just like, man, I, I want to be that way. I want us, I want my family to be this way. Um, I, I want our church to be this way that we would just, Scripture talks about us being captured by him to do his will. So as they right now are, are, are being captured and Joseph is their captor and that they are in amazement at how much the one that has captured them is lavishing them that, that I was just like, man, would, would, would we just be amazed at the one who's captured us? You know, like, I, I, yeah, I love, like, occasionally just looking over at people in our church and us knowing each other's story and just being like, can you believe this is happening? <laughs> like, can, can, can you, like, there's an amazement. Um, and it's like, I don't want to lose that. And I, in times that I have lost that, I want it to come back. I, I don't want to get tired of being amazed at the one that has captured my will, being amazed at the one that has captured our will. And they see the heart of the one that has captured them. And now they're going to be tested so that the one that has captured them can see their heart. And that's chapter 44. Look at verse 1. Then he commanded the steward of his house. So this is Joseph commanding the steward of house. Fill the men's sacks with food. This is, you know, this is off. This is behind the scenes. They don't know this is happening. Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. Put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Both the first wave of money and the second wave of money. Put it, stuff it all back in their sacks with the food. Verse 2, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. And we should be like, oh boy, trouble is brewing. Something is about ready to happen here. Verse uh, 3, as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Then, so so this happens. Then verse nine, as they're talking, and they don't know that the money's back in the sacks and stuff, they say, The brothers say to this official who says, why have you repaid evil for good? They say, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. So they're saying, this silver cup you're talking about, whoever has it among us, which their thought is none of us have it among us. But they're like, whoever has it, we agree the death penalty is the right judgment 
not knowing that they're judging the brother that they've committed to save. So they shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, but whichever your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. So none of us will ever go back home. All of us will be in, in prison for the rest of our lives, and the one who has the silver cup will die. But then the official says, before we look, let it be as you say, he who is found with it, softens it a little bit, shall be my servant. So whoever is found with it will be my prisoner forever, and the rest of you shall be innocent. So it's interesting. He's like, hey, let's calm down a little bit. Whoever finds it will just be in jail forever, and the rest of you can go free. Man, like, they're being tested in many ways. Their hearts are being tested. He's, he's, he's checking the dipstick of where they're at, where their heart is at. Will they turn on each other? How will they respond when the heat is turned up? Joseph is orchestrating this, and he's orchestrating peace. He is. He's orchestrating the peace and salvation and redemption and reconciliation of this entire family. God is using Joseph through all of this. They make the statement, verse 9, whoever's found with it will die. Um, they're not as thinking that it's any of the brothers. They're most wanting to protect Benjamin for the sake of their dad who loves him. And what unfolds shocks them, as you can imagine. Look at verse 11. Each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. So they are shocked. They are ruined. They're brought to tear their clothes. Tearing their clothes signifies we need clothing no longer. Throw our wardrobe away. We are dead. Our lives are over. We don't need clothes anymore. And that's what tearing their clothes signifies. And instead of scattering in 11 different directions, instead of saying like, well, you know, the official said we could go. So stinks to be you. You shouldn't have had that in your, in your bag. Tell Simeon hi. Maybe you guys can enjoy each other for the rest of your lives. Like instead of that, they lock arms together. See how it says, they tore their clothes and every man every one of the brothers loaded up his donkey to go back to Egypt. Being like, we can't go back to our dad. We, we, it, we're all, this is, we're all together in this. We're gonna all see this through into the unknown. They feasted together and they're facing the hardest moment of their lives right now to date together. I want us to be a church like this. Verse 30. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your, your servant, my father. So this is Judah speaking, by the way. So Judah is the fourth oldest. Judah is the one who, who went to, um, to Jacob. So it's, it's Reuben, 
Simeon, Levi, which all the priests will come from Levi, uh, then Judah. And Judah has been kind of representing the brothers, and now Judah just goes for it. And this is what Judah says in verse 30. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant. So it's saying, me, my brothers, will kill our dad, our father with sorrow to Sheol, if this happens. And if Benjamin is the guy that's left. Verse 32, for your servant, so he's telling him, so Judah is telling the guy, for your servant, I became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. If I don't see him safely home, I'm, and previously he said forever, like, like for my entire life, I will bear the blame of this. So he says, now therefore, please let, let, let me remain. Therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. Let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that will find my father. So the father loves Benjamin. And, and he's... he's he loves the other brothers, I think, too. He's, Jacob is a broken man. Uh, this is some of his brokenness is maybe the way that he has affection towards some brothers and not others, some wives, not others. Um, there's a lot of hot mess there. And God, God doesn't turn his back on hot messes. He walks into them and shines a light in them and redeems and reconciles and changes and walks with us and teaches us what, what his way is, not what our, just the way left on our own is. And what I love here, and what we're going to see next week is right after this verse, Joseph breaks. And Joseph is like, this is who I am. And that's next uh, Sunday morning, um, I think it's going to be incredible to step into that. And the things that Joseph says, the way that Joseph steps towards them. Um, but what Judah is doing here that is so moving to Joseph, and it should move us because this is actually our story. And if you, if you are like, yeah, I was thinking that that whole time, this sounds like me. And if you're like, I didn't think that once, that uh, I would tell you, this is our story Judah is owning being a pledge for Benjamin, and Judah is ready to sell himself into a lifetime of slavery so that his brother can be free, so that his brother can go to the father who loves him. And where this interacts with our story is that, um, that Judah has one from his lineage who's known as the lion of the tribe of Judah, a, a fierce lion who attacked, scared away, fought for us, gave a pledge to the father saying, I'm going to take their blame forever. I'm going to take their 
guilt forever. The lion of the tribe of Judah, who our story is even more crazy than this story. Our story is deeper than this story because what the lion of the tribe of Judah did was a, it was a forever significant thing. Like what's, what we're going to see is these guys are kind of going to live happily ever after and then they're all going to die. The lion of the tribe of Judah is with us, Jesus with us in a way that we don't all just live happily ever after and die, but actually like he is leading us safely home so we can live with him forever. And he says he's with us here. And Joseph is moved by this uh, reality of what he's seen Judah do. And what Jesus is doing too is Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. He says, I, I look at you like a brother. I look at you like a sister. And I know our histories and I know your history. And, and I, am, I am living my life in your place. I'm, I'm willing to be imprisoned, beat, killed on a cross taking the blame forever of all your shame so that you can be back into the arms of the Father. And, and that's, uh, so in, in some ways we've identified with the brothers, we identified with Joseph early on in the book of, earlier on in the book of Genesis, identifying with the brothers and how we, we are more guilty than we imagine. But, but one of the things with Benjamin too is he's the weakest of all of them. And I think it's healthy for us sometimes to be like, hey, I've got some strengths. I've got some things I can do. But like in this realm, I, am, I need to be rescued. I am fully weak. And he is strong. And, and I'm going to let him be in my place, being my pledge, taking the blame for me forever, bringing me back to the Father. And this is their family story. And I think for us, it's just the question. It's like, is this your family story? If it's like, hey, Mom, Dad, tell me my family story. It's like, well, I can, you can, there's a version of the story you can tell, but then it's like, hey, let me tell you about my brother, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let me tell you about my father who perfectly loves me. Jacob was an imperfect father, imperfectly loving his sons. Um, your father is a perfect father, perfectly loving you. And what's amazing too is that um, both your brother, Jesus, the Holy Spirit who empowers all of this to happen and the Father are one. Father, Son, Spirit. One passion towards you, three persons, one God after you, with you, for you, and that, that we can receive him. You know, what, what Benjamin's role here is receive it. You know, there wasn't any place in there that was like, so Benjamin became this hero who did all of these things. He received the rescue. He received all this stuff happening. He received the love. He received the feast. And Lord, I pray that we would receive that, that um, we would realize that, yes, we do walk with you. We, we pursue you. We run the race that you set before us. And we also realize that, that truly you are the pursuing God. Like truly you are the one that pursues us. And God, I don't know where, where I, 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 I need you to even show me where I'm at today. And thank you that you can show that and you, you show each of us. And God, I just ask that you would meet with each of us right now. That, that these words would not just be my words, but Lord, it would be so clear that, that you are the author of these words 
that you are alive and well and that, that what you're doing in our lives is making this our story. And Lord, we, we want to commune with you in prayer. We want to be with you. We want your presence to bring us peace. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the light of the world. Jesus, will we never get tired of, I feel like we're in a cultural moment where everybody's allowed to celebrate your birthday, but no one's allowed to say your name. And would this be a place where Jesus flows easily off our lips and, and Jesus, um, that, that your name, that you, your presence is just thick in this place, that you are lifting burdens. You are freeing us. You're teaching us how to be a free people. You're teaching us how as free people to learn to walk together. And God, as, as you designed communion, as a tangible way for us to realize how you are with us, as a tangible way for you to teach us how to meet with you, walk with you, learn from you. Um, Lord, would you make this a, a special time? Would we truly commune with you, Jesus, we pray. Amen.